Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the RC Industry Podcast, episode 17, with me, Simon Kane. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the world of stand-up, comedy, TV, radio, and today, the Edinburgh Fringe. We've got Neil McKinnon on. He is the Head of External Affairs at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival Society. He is also Head of Media there, which means that uh, when all the world's press arrive at the Fringe, the first port of call is his office. And uh, he's come on the show to talk to us about the underused facilities that the Fringe offer for all participants with their registration fee, as well as services and the support that, in his own words, are probably not getting used enough or not known enough by performers. We get quite deep into uh, how performers can use their media centre as their own kind of private PR, which uh, they don't have to pay for in, well, they pay for it in their registration fee, so technically they paid for it, but it's still included because you have to register. And uh, yeah, we we get into we get loads of stuff covered. I should also say that um, keeping in with this theme of background noise, this one was recorded at the Pleasance uh, Theatre in London after a quite long uh, Q and A with him and about five other guests, which means that there is a tiny bit of background noise in this one as well. Although I have edited out most of it. So you can hear everything he says and not really hear any of the sort of clattering of moving round of stuff. If you are new to the show, if you would like to subscribe, feel free to do through iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to give it a review in iTunes. It really helps the show out. I cannot stress that enough. If you uh, liked this episode and want to put a monetary value on it and send it to me, I have a PayPal button on the website. Give this podcast a value one, two, three, four, five pounds, and then send it my way. All the money gets ploughed back into the show, so you're just supporting me continuing to do these. I'm not going to talk too much more just because I want this to be quite a short pod, but uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you like it. Uh, I had a lot of fun with Neil. He's such a knowledgeable guy about the Fringe. He's been doing the, like the Fringe for... Or he's been working at the Fringe since about 2009, but he's just so knowledgeable and clever and just he just knows in the ins and outs of everything that has uh, goes on around august and so i feel like everyone who uh is going to go up or is looking at going up would get something out of this because the amount of stuff that goes on at the fringe festival society that 
I didn't know, <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I'm not an oracle at this, I get that, but, you know, after a few years, you'd think you'd know some stuff, it turns out I didn't know anything, so it was quite humbling and quite fun to chat to him, and I hope you get something out of this, um, he's also fully contactable, if you go to uh, the website, which is just Simon Kane, S-I-M-O-N-C-A-I-N-E, .co.uk forward slash RC Industry Podcast. You can find uh, all the links to all of his social media stuff as well as his email address, and uh, you can email them anytime and ask them for support and arrange uh, a meeting to chat about anything you're worried about to do with your show, media coverage, anything really. Um, they are amazing, honestly. Do take advantage of the tools and facilities and support that they lay on because it's it's invaluable i don't know why we're not doing more of it if you want to follow along in the show notes or you feel like you've missed anything uh, or you want to find out about anything that was included in any of the answers uh, go to the website find the show notes there and everything's linked everything's you know shared there so uh, without any further delays this is neil mckinnon so I think that the range of facilities which the Fringe Society offers to people who are taking part in the Fringe um, is still relatively underused. We have got a full media office service. We have an arts industry office service. We have a program of professional and career development events with over 100 events in it. And although you know a lot of people do use these services, there's still scope for even more people to know about them and to actually access them as well. When it comes to someone who's going up to the Fringe for their first show, would you say that... Because I'm, I'm on Free Fringe, and I've always been on Free Fringe. And I find, for example, uh, media offices, uh, they seem to be only stuff for the paid Fringe venues. Do you offer facilities for that? Uh, the facilities that we offer, all the facilities that we offer, are absolutely available to everybody who takes part in the Fringe, regardless of which venue they're in. And certainly... Um, because some of the paid venues will offer a greater level of support to their participants than uh, than free venues traditionally do. Uh, it is the case that we our services are taken up by quite a large number of people who are in free venues, and we regularly help them to maximise the opportunities that they have as much as possible. Do you think free venues should maybe make more effort to have some sort of media... Free, sorry, media venue for themselves to to sort of help out their own acts well i know that it varies from the different free the different free model organizations offer a variety of different support to participants who are taking part in those venues and i think that there is a distinction between those different models and the uh, and how much the participants are willing to actually contribute uh to the resources that would be available across the board for all the shows within those venues. So I think the answer is it varies. Yeah. Okay. And if, if so, say for example, you were doing a free fringe show and you were taking it up. I remember you were saying some, or I remember reading something about how uh, you are in charge of the media office at the Fringe Central, and that basically <coughs> uh, encapsulates taking in the world's media and directing them to different shows based around what they're interested in and what the shows are doing. How would a free fringe show be able to stand out and get your attention and the fringe? Uh, the well, I think the first thing is that it's really important that everybody understands that we do not make recommendations. 
uh, um, it goes right back to the start of the Fringe in 1947, the fact that anybody can take part. And when the Fringe Society was set up ten years later, it was set up under the very strict auspices that anybody who was taking part in the Fringe would have access to all the services available. And that remains fundamentally the... The, the important ethos that we as staff work to, so everybody has access to everything that we do. Um, the uh, best way of making sure that your show stands out, and this applies to whether or not you are a free show or a paid-for show, is to make sure that the media office know about your show and are there to be able to help you. Um, we uh, encourage performers to come in and to see us and to talk to us and to tell us about their shows and it's by doing that that we can then help them to sell their shows to the media. And how, how early should that be happening? Should it be happening before the Fringe or the first Well, day? physically, we, uh, we recognise that most people don't live in Edinburgh who are performing, and therefore, physically, the time that you should come and see us is as soon as you arrive in Edinburgh. Should we, want, we encourage people to make it one of their very first port of calls. And we have staff who will de- be dedicated to helping them and who will make appointments to speak to them and who, uh, and who they can talk about how they're selling their show and also what we can do to help in that process. So is it better to make an appointment than to just turn up? Yes, absolutely. Yes, we have a we have a system whereby people can make appointments, fifteen minute appointments, and they can see us. Uh, and we're open from ten a.m. to eight p.m. from the beginning of week zero right through to the end of the fringe. And you can come as many times as you like, as you know, as your situation develops and as the fringe uh, progresses. You know, we would strongly encourage people to come back and to see us again. So we shouldn't just send you in a press release. Um. Well, that's a starting point. But the other, but from the beginning of May, we have a service where participants are able to send us their press releases and their flyers and so on, and we will give them one-to-one advice on on how to approach selling their show, what media they should be speaking to, um, what journalists are likely to be interested in their kind of show, etc. And we do that, uh, you know, we do that by email and by Skype from May through until the end of July, and then physically people can come in on a one-to-one basis. So I would say that the earliest that you contact us, the better. Okay. And in terms of, if say for example you won an award or you were nominated for something, do we should we come to you and tell you about that, or would you be absolutely coming? okay? Yes, absolutely. So, when, so there are a whole um, there are a whole list of awards that apply to the fringe. Uh, there are over 30 of them. It varies from year to year because it very much we don't organise the awards ourselves. The awards are organised by a range of different organisations and some years they might n- decide not to do it and some years new people might come along and want to organise one. We support those organisations by helping them get tickets for the uh, for the shows that they want to see uh, for th- that they are considering for those awards and we engage with them because we think it's a we think it's a service that helps the audience. You know, so the Fringe has over 3,000 shows each year, and without a doubt, that means that you have to make a bit of... Um, you know, that it makes it a little bit tricky to navigate your way around that number of shows unless you um, have some guides and some advice that you can take. And because we don't make recommendations, we look to external people and external bodies to provide that kind of advice. And two forms that, those adv- that that advice comes in or that that navigation tool can come in are good reviews for your shows from the media and also awards that you might win. So you're not 
informed when the nominations come out we have to actually come to you some it varies from award to award so what i would suggest is that anybody taking part in the fringe first of all looks at the list of awards that are on the website and the awards will have different criteria some of them you don't have to do anything to apply for it just happens automatically some of them you actually have to actively apply for um and some awards will vary from they'll only be um they will only be uh, suitable for various criteria within the program. So, for instance, there's a children's show award, and there's a com- there are several comedy awards, etc. And so that varies as well. And so I would look, I would advise everybody to look at the awards list. And then in the situation where you are nominated or you win, you should definitely come in and tell us straight away, and we can give you advice on how to make the most of the fact that you've had this nomination or this award. That's interesting that you're not sort of alerted to it is it kind of because you have to stay impartial or is it just because the awards happen so quickly that and partly because mostly because they happen so quickly and so and so sometimes we will be alerted to them but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as quick as the as as the performer would like so it's it, that's why even though even if we are going to be um, it, uh, notified ourselves. It's best that, as in terms of a belt and braces approach, it's best. It's best that if you know that you've won, you come and tell us. Outside of um, support for shows and promotion, do you offer any emotional support for performers who are maybe going through stuff that you know, like they're, they're struggling with um, audience numbers or they're struggling with getting bad reviews? Yes, absolutely. And we have experienced staff who will be there to give one-to-one advice throughout August and you know and they will help in terms of giving guidance and advice on how uh, on how to deal with situations where there might be poor ticket sales or anything like that okay and when so you don't do show recommendations at all so when it comes to uh, say there's a story around a show like if someone's done a stunt or someone's done something like that should we come to you or is it okay so we go direct to press or well we can help you well it, it ultimately it will be the performer or if the performer employs a professional PR, it will be their responsibility to contact the press directly. But what we can do is we can help by talking you through that stage by stage. So we can help identify which specific journalists would be worth talking to and then we can help identify how best to go about talking to them and how to pitch the story itself as well. So we can give we can give step by step advice. So you act kind of like an impartial PR service? Yes. So with that in mind, do you think it's worth for people to employ PR people if you guys offer a lot of the Well, service? I think it depends on I think what I think what I think what performers should think about in terms of asking the question as to whether they should employ a PR is firstly, um, what is it that I want to, to achieve? What what goals would I set for a PR that I would employ? Do I have the budget to pay for it? And that's a critically important one. And related to that, what you can do is you can have discussions with PRs about how much they charge for specific services. So you can break it down to you can you, know, you can break it down to very specific. You know, I want someone to write a press release. I want someone to distribute a press release. What do you? What is it that you want the PR to actually do? Um, and so you can be very specific about that, and so you can work out what you have the budget for and wh- what you will get for that bu- for that specific budget. And then the other question that you ha- want to ask yourself before hiring a PR is um, 
you know, is how much time am I willing to devote to promoting my show? You know, I've seen some really great shows at the Fringe that have just died at the end of the Fringe and not gone on anywhere. And the reason they haven't is because nobody knew about them. Yeah, um, you know, really great shows in um, in venues with a capacity of fifty to a hundred, which should have sold, you know, all the seats in that venue. And would have done had they been effectively promoted, but but instead they were playing to ten or twelve people, and so you um, you have to recognise that the fringe is a very competitive environment. You know there are a lot of shows vying for the attention, not just of the media but of the public, the ticket the the ticket buying or the show going public as well, and so. Um, in those circumstances, what you need to do is you need to make sure that you're doing everything you can to maximise the opportunities for your show. And therefore, how much time are you able and willing to devote to promoting that show? If you're, you know, if you're not able to go out flyering on the high street for three or four hours a day, you might have to hire a flyering team to go and do your flyering for you. You know, if you're not able to sit down for an hour a day and do some social media, you might have to hire someone to help with that side of it as well. And so I think it, and so the question is, how much time can you devote to that yourself? How much time are you willing to devote to it? And therefore, do you need extra help to do that? And the other thing I would say about hiring a PR is um, to before you hire a PR, speak to more than one, speak to two or three, compare their prices, ask for ask for recommendations from people who have been previous clients of theirs, ask for examples of their work, you know, so that you are confident that your expectations will be matched by what they're able to deliver for you. Uh, that's perfect. I mean, if you, if say for example, someone wants to hire a PR. Would the fringe office rec- like have a list of recommended PRs or people? We do have a list. It's certainly not a list of recommended PRs because <laughs> our um, just as we don't recommend shows, we don't recommend the PRs on that list. Uh, so we have a list. We invite the PRs that we know to uh, to provide us with details, which we then put on the list, which we circulate to performers. The, um, and we, what we try to do is, because we don't recommend the PRs, what we try to do is we try to gather as much useful information for that list as possible so that the performers can make educated choices about what sort of PR would be good for them. You know, and so we ask for information about what genres they, they particularly focus in. There is a huge difference between people who have experience doing comedy or those who do theatre. You know, and, and, you know, and I, would be very, I would personally be very suspicious about someone who said that they, that they excelled in both comedy PR and theatre PR because it's such, they are such different worlds. You know? It's like the difference between brain surgery and heart surgery. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. It's a specialist thing. Like, Absolutely. Like yeah. with social media, like with anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I personally believe the circuit in general is a meritocracy, but when it comes to the fringe, that pretty much goes out the window because there are just too many people competing in a short space of time. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's a meritocracy in the sense that um, the the opportunity is there for everybody. You know, um, you know, we, when I when I started working for the Fringe several years, which is quite a long time ago now, when I started working for the Fringe, there was still a sense that free shows, 
equaled rubbish shows and that the quality was not there and that's completely gone you know that it's now particularly in comedy now everybody knows that some of the most interesting and lively and funny comedians are working on free shows and there's no dispute about that whatsoever um and so to that to, in, in that regard i think if you you know, as a springboard for future opportunities for comedians i think that um I think that the fringe is a meritocracy, and it does offer great opportunities for people who are doing all sorts of shows in all sorts of venues under all sorts of different formats. So, in, in terms of um, you, d- you don't do show recommendations, but you do pass them on based around what, like, so say say someone came into you, say I came to you, and I said I'm doing a show, I'm doing a show. I am doing a show, and I'm doing a show. Uh, it's called Buddhism and Cats, right? So I would tell you all about that, and you would sort of note it down, or I would give you a load. Yes. Of so we would, we would. Well, there's, I think there are there are three things. So you could give us a copy of your press release when it's finished, and any photographs that you have, publicity shots that you have for the show, and you would tell us what the show was about. And so we would then. So that gives us three things. Um, a lot of the a lot of the work that we do is because uh, journalists will come to us and they are looking for shows on a particular theme you know and so if given the nature of given the name of your show um, someone might come in wanting uh, wanting information about shows on the theme of religion or, or specifically of Buddhism and so we and we produce lists of shows on specific themes and so your show would be on that list uh, another thing that might happen is that um, and quite regularly, so the journalists who have come to Edinburgh to write about shows uh, will write their copy, and then it'll be then the newspaper, the news desk, and the and the picture desk will look for images uh, to go with a story that they might be doing about your show. And it's very very common in August that we will get a phone call in the office at about twelve noon or one o'clock from the Times or the Guardian picture desk. And they will ask for a picture of a specific shoe. And they will say, have you got it? Yes or no? Because if you've got it, and it's high res, and you can send it to them, it's in the paper the following morning. If you haven't, tough luck. They've got to, because they need an instant answer. So they then move on to the next show that they might give that space to. And so... Um, given all of that it's vitally important that we get as much information and as as much of the stuff that we can pass on to other people about your show as possible so so when you say images do you mean press shots headshots posters I'm, yes everything? yes i do okay so we should email that in or bring it on a memory stick or what's the best uh, a memory stick is ideal yes mm-hmm. okay um but we have a dropbox facility as well so people can use that so okay um and is there any way of accessing those lists of shows for the media, yeah, uh, yeah. So we, so the journalists come and ask for them. Oh, I mean, uh, if so if a performer wanted to browse those lists, or are they not public? No, they're not public. No. Okay. Other than bring all the information to you in the most effective format possible, what other ways would you recommend for performers to get more coverage for their show? Well, so the first thing is 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 to get advice on putting together your press release and stuff, and and to do it and to and to, and to start contacting journalists early as well. So. Um, you know, we know that many journalists will start building their itinerary of what they're going to go and see from the time that the programme comes out to the beginning of June onwards. So, um, and so whenever anyone asks me, when should I start contacting journalists, I say, I say one or two things. Um, 
firstly, if your show is going on sale with the Fringe before June the 4th, um, and now there are opportunities for tickets to go on sale every month during uh, January, February, March and April. If your tickets are going on sale early, then I think you should start contacting the journalists when your tickets go on sale. If they are not going on sale until the programme comes out on June the 4th, or you're in a free show, and therefore the list of which will only be available on June the 4th, that's the time that I think you should start contacting journalists. Okay. And you you obviously uh, have a print and an online presence for show listings. Do you track how people are finding out about the shows, whether it's the app or the new, online or in the paper? Yes, what we do know is that um, the print run for the printed programme has not decreased at all in the last decade, despite the, despite the massively increased online presence. And so the printed programme, which we, we print about 450,000 copies, and they all go, you know, by the end of August, they all go. People still use it a lot, you know, and there is still a huge value to being in the printed programme. It's still the principal marketing tool of shows in Edinburgh in August. Ticket sales have gone online dramatically over the last few years. We now sell about 75% of our tickets online. Um, And therefore, what that tells us is that despite the fact that people are using the printed programme as a significant information tool they are also using the website and the app and therefore having a presence on the website and the app is also very important yeah okay and you mentioned sorry i should say we've we're in a we're in the pleasant so we've just come out of a, a long talk with you guys and in it you mentioned that uh interviews with artists as well as columns from artists are something that um journalists frequently want because to put it frankly it's free content for them but it also adds more exposure and it allows the artist a little bit more freedom in order to sort of express themselves than maybe a press release would is there like a place online or like on your website that you know that like a notice board for journalists to put stuff up or does it all go straight through you yeah it's mostly word of mouth so journalists who are putting who are putting together uh supplements or so on where they want those kind of columns will come and talk to us and what they will do because they will do the selection process themselves but what they will come and ask us is if we know of anyone who might be interested and who might be quite good at writing who could do one and so it's one of the things it comes it's it's similar to the things that i was talking about earlier if you come and you tell us that that's something you're interested in and that you're good at then it makes it much more easier for us to pass your information to people who might be interested in in offering you that kind of opportunity okay and if we were doing a stunt and we wanted to involve media, would you say that's a good idea to come through you guys or is it a case of going direct to them would be the easiest way? Because obviously that's a completely different kettle of fish than news articles. Yes, it is. And we can offer a lot of help with that. So we provide something called the Clash Diary. And basically we send that to all the picture desks every single day during August. And it lists all the forthcoming stunts and photo calls that we know of that are happening. And so it allows the photographers and the picture editors who are who are commissioning the photographers to decide on what might be an interesting image and what they might be interested in. And so it's a really useful tool, and I would have thought that your chances of getting picked up would be considerably higher if the information about your stunt was in the Clash Diary. So is the Clash Diary like... Uh, I mean, does that mean... I'm just trying to think of how to phrase it. Does that mean that like the Clash Diary is, is like an ongoing day-by-day, these are the stunts that are happening? Or is yeah. it like 
uh, a sort of history of this the stuff that has happened you can pick it up no at any time. no this is this is a live this is f- this is like a live forthcoming events diary and so it, it provides it provides two functions really the first function is that for anyone who's organizing a stunt or a photo call it allows you to pick a bet the best opportunity in order to do it there's no point in creating a stunt at 11 o'clock in the morning, if that is the time that the Traverse Theatre are launching you know, the photocall for their big show for August. You know, so, so you want a clear run for your stunt. And so the Clash Diary's first function is identifying when things are happening so that you don't clash with them, as the name suggests. The second function of it is that we then send it to all those picture editors who will then use it to identify and schedule their workload. What if you wanted to do a stunt but you don't necessarily want them there you want to just do it and then send in the images you can do that um i think that i would always recommend against that and the reason i would is because a um a professional photographer will always take more higher quality better images than an amateur photographer would um, you have the option that what you could do is you could just hire a single photographer yourself and then send them the images and that would at least guarantee that the images would be of a high enough quality in terms of you know in terms of you know, in, in, in terms of being high res etc that they would be high enough quality to be used um, but you also have to know that you know, when you send them in, you might then be losing a bit of control over that, which, you know, at least if you have a photo call that you've done on a set day, then you know that you can expect those images to appear in the day or two immediately after you've done the photo call. Makes sense, because obviously journalists have got day-by-day deadlines Absolutely. during yeah. French. Yeah, and you know, you know, a whole series of photo calls have happened today, but a whole series of other photo calls will happen tomorrow. You know, and, so, and so today's fresh and interesting stuff has been replaced by tomorrow's fresh and interesting stuff. Of course, yeah. Um, and in terms of uh, a lot of performers have decided to go solo, uh, in particular, uh, like in terms of not having uh, management or PR or publicists or anything like that. Um, do you think that trend is a sort of a, a budgetary thing, or do you think it's a, a, a sort of overarching move in the fringe to become more sort of back to the way it used to be, where it was you know quality of acts rather than money talks and shouts, and then tries to get in the face of everyone? Well, I think there's. A, I think there are. A, I think, like everything else at the fringe, there's no single answer to that question. I think that basically it's, uh, it undoubtedly started uh, because there were there was a whole strata, particularly of comedians, who could not afford the sort of prices that venues were charging. If you go, and, you know, this is going back over fifteen, twenty years or so, and therefore wanted a, wanted a more affordable alternative. Um, however, as it developed, what you then saw was um, people who were doing it for the reasons that you set out, so people who thought that it actually had benefits beyond just being more affordable. And the other interesting thing that we've seen is that the free model, which undoubtedly started and has its roots in comedy, has in the last few years expanded into theatre and cabaret and a whole host of other genres as well. You know, um, and so I think it's a I think it's a thriving success, and I think it will always be a part of the fringe. Do you like the movement then of, like you said, there's lots of really great acts that have gone from paid to free or are sticking with free. Do you like that movement or uh, is there sort of, um, I don't want to say a sort of, uh, what's the word? 
uh, because you guys get a cut of ticket sales essentially like they, they put 20% of tickets through you yes. or something like that mm-hmm. and you guys get an X amount of that cut so I imagine there is a bit of an agenda behind hopefully having more paid stuff but also you want your roots as free fringe to hold up as well so where do you stand on I think that I think I think the thing where, where we stand is that the fringe is some is there for everyone you know and our job is not to create a single model that everybody must then conform to, but our job is to listen to what the artists and the producers pr- are proposing to do and to find ways of way- and find ways of making that work. So, for instance, we have been working in the last couple of years. We have been working with the proponents of pay what you want, which is a, which is another new model that has come along, and you know. It's not the e and for us, and particularly in terms of modern technology and websites and so on. That's not the easiest model to actually uh, to actually get. To. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Conform to how websites and ticketing websites work, but our job is to try and make it work, not to try and stand in the way of these new creative ideas. Okay, yes, yeah, um, the uh, Bob's Bookshop and that yeah. kind of stuff. And uh, so, are you, I mean, you're quite flexible then to new ideas and, and new venues. And I think that our entire ethos, going right back to the formation of the Fringe Society and the formation of the Fringe itself, is about new and exciting and diverse and actually helping people. So, you know, we very much see ourselves as being there to help and to uh, and when people come up with new ideas, whether it's in terms of what happens on the stage or whether it's in terms of how that work gets to the stage, our job is to try and turn our job is to try and turn the ideas of these immensely creative people into real substantial events. Okay, and. You, uh, you've said before the world's press basically arrive and come to Fringe Central and talk to you essentially yep. and I mean is that like their first port of call generally speaking or is it a case of because uh, I know a lot of uh, journalists and a lot of them say you know they get told ahead of time what they need to go and review they get told uh, they've got a, a rider of certain shows they want to go and see so uh, where, where does where does the line blur between them having to research stuff when they get up there and then plan stuff when they're down here it very much varies from 
uh, journalist to journalist and outlet to outlet. It depends on who they're working for. Um, there will be some journalists who will be reviewing for newspapers that have large numbers, that have a large team, and they are part of a large team, and will have very little flexibility about where they go. So, so for instance, if you're writing for a newspaper like The Scotsman or The Herald, you know, where you are part of a theatre or comedy team, you'll get an allocation of shows that you go and see, and the arts editor will allocate those shows. If you are a... Um, if you are a high-profile national reviewer um, working for the Times or the Guardian, um, then you have a great deal of flexibility about what you go and see. And I was talking to a very well-known uh, London theatre reviewer uh, a few months ago who basically who's, who, who spends all of August at the Fringe. And what this person does is, before the Fringe starts, they have filled about half their time with shows that they have selected based on the press releases that they've been sent on the media coverage that the show has had before the fringe started. And then the other half they fill as August goes on. So they so they are susceptible to word of mouth that they get on the streets, to reviews that appear in their competitor publications, and also to um uh, performers that they might actually meet in the bar late at night, and so they so they have a they have a mix of the stuff that's actually booked in advance and the stuff that is flexible for them on the day, and then you have other journalists, particularly ones who might only come for a relatively short period of time, um, and the way they will tend to work is that they will have a lot more free time and they will they will go and see things on the spur of the moment. So, for instance, last year, the Edinburgh International Festival had a production called The James Place, which afterwards came down to London. And several critics who would not normally come to the Fringe came to review The James Place. But because you could do The James Place in one day, that meant that if you were here for three or four days, you then had a set of Fringe shows that you would then go and see. And so those shows were only selected when they were there. Okay. And... Because of the influx of, or because of the expansion of the fringe and the amount of shows there are, there's been quite an influx and quite an increase in the number of student reviewers that are happening around the place. Um, now, there's kind of two sides on this, where some people think that's diluting the the quality of reviews because obviously they're not as experienced, and as a result, you know, because it, because performers all want to review, you know, we're kind of in a stage where do we want a review from someone decent who's been doing it a long time or do we just want a review to put on a poster for whatever reason? What are the fringes sort of... I mean, you, can't, you guys obviously can't monitor it because you're not involved with the press, but do you have any say in that? or do you? Yes, so there are, there are two things I would say. I think that's a very interesting and a very fair question and I think it's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. And I... Um, think that the the answer from the performer's point of view, I think, is it depends on your show. So it depends on whether or not you are the kind of show that is going to have a handful of reviews by the end of the fringe, or whether you are the kind of show which has got a lot lower profile and you'll be happy to get a review. Um, from our point of view as well, we it's important for us to remember that reviews are really important for the audience and for the audience to help them navigate their way around the fringe and you mentioned the size of the program and so they so the audience find them really useful and we want to encourage reviews but we work with the because we have a media accreditation system we have expectations of the kind of media who we accredit and that includes sort of student media and student like media and 
we have expectations in terms of we check that they are genuine websites that they are going to help sell tickets for shows and so for instance yeah so for instance um a lot of student websites which exist in universities out with edinburgh who don't have anybody reading them uh in august because they're not in term time and so they're going to they're going to provide little or no help to fringe shows during august because nobody's going to be able to read the reviews there anyway and so we tend not to we tend not to grant them as much access as we would um somebody like fresh air fm which is an edinburgh Edinburgh university student uh, website and will be read by you know there will be a good few thousand students in edinburgh during august and they will read that website and so a review on there has a much greater value to a french performer than say the equivalent at nottingham university or manchester university does because nobody reading that review in edinburgh is going to go and buy a ticket to see that show based on a review on that website no, it makes total sense. And and in terms of, um, obviously there are reviewers that are just starting out who want to be reviewers, who are maybe, you know, at, at Free Weeks or, or, or Fringe Fest or something like that, who, you know, have not got that much experience. Do you think performers should be able to say, I don't want to be reviewed by someone who has less than a certain number of years experience because I don't want, if they came and they thought I did badly, but they haven't got that much experience i don't necessarily want that tarnishing my show they might love it but we can just say that we don't want that i think that um i think that becomes very very difficult to manage as a process um if you had a full-time pr they would help one of the things that they would undoubtedly do is monitor the uh review requests that came in that's one of the things that a pr will do for you and they will then make qualitative judgments on whether or not that's a good review for you to get um it's not a process that we're able given the scale of the fringe and given the scale of the number of journalists that there are there or reviewers that there are there it's not something that we would be able to do on a show by show basis like that but what we but what what you can take what what i think you can take some comfort from is the fact that we work with people like broadway baby in three weeks all the time uh to ensure that because we're offering accreditation to them that they between us they and us are ensuring that there is a sort of like a quality bar that everybody or a quality threshold that everybody who is working for them has reached and like is that sort of I mean, is that sort of standards that you've set or internal standards at the publication? Or Well, we, we it, it's a collaborative effort. So we talk to them, uh, particularly those ones that have large numbers of people coming to review for them. Um, people like Broadway Baby or Three Weeks who will have a team of, not who will have a team that's probably in the region of about 100 people each. You know? And so we will talk to them about the quality of everybody that's in that team. I think performers can take comfort from the fact that we work very collaboratively with people like Broadway Baby and Three Weeks and the other organisations that have large numbers of reviewers to ensure that those people um, have reached a certain quality threshold which uh, the performers would be happy about the quality of their work. And we have processes in place when there are unfortunate incidents, as there will be every year, when one or two people don't meet that quality. And we talk to those organisations um, about removing their accreditation, and that does happen. So, so our responsibility to the participants at the Fringe is to make sure that 
the media that are there are covering them as fairly and as effectively as possible. And so we do monitor it to make sure that that happens. Something that I find quite interesting, I'm doing the Brighton Fringe this year as well for the first time, and I found out on their website you can you submit your reviews, and on Edinburgh they go straight up. Is there a reason for that, or is there like a way around that in case you don't want the review to appear? Well, yes, there is. So the reason, the, the process that we have, we have because uh, our audience feedback told us that the audience wanted these reviews as a tool for helping them choose what shows they wanted to go and see. And some of the things that the audience spoke about were the fact that they wanted them quickly and that um, they wanted... Uh, they, if the reviews weren't there then it was less of a service and so that's why there's an automated process there is an opt-out available to people before the fringe starts you are able to say that you do not want reviews on your on the page for your show mm. and you can opt out altogether interesting, I didn't know that was an option I thought, but they'll, they'll still come, they just won't appear on your show page so you, you said that there's an event at the start of the fringe uh, called Meet the, uh, Meet the Media is that right? That's right, yes. And that's essentially where the media... Will, it's like a mingling networking event, right? It's not quite a mingling event. It's a little bit more formal. Like that. I like to say it's a cross between speed dating meets the antiques roadshow. <laughs> um, so, so we have... We, we usually get about 25 different media outlets, and they each get a table. And then we have about 600 fringe shows who come along. And everybody queues up, and you have a couple of minutes to pitch your show to a media outlet. And then you, after you've pitched it, you move on to the next outlet. Is that So when you say a pitch, is it a case of remember what your press release says and sort of regurgitate that? Or do you mean literally sit down as a, a person and say, my show is about... My show is about... I think, I think actually it's one of the most essential things that you have to be able to do before you get to Edinburgh. Um, I often go up to people who, whenever I meet performers, and I say, what's your show about? And I, and I say, well, you have to be able to tell me that in 60 seconds. And, and it's something that I encourage people to think about, not just to do spontaneously, and to practice in front of the mirror. I know that sounds really corny and really stupid, but I think that you have got to be... It's a, Edinburgh is a really competitive environment. There are 3,000 shows out there. You've got to be able to tell me what that show is about in less than 60 seconds. Uh, as a comedian, I can tell you now, practicing in front of a mirror is not a problem for things. Um, but in, uh, do you help with that then? So if I so if I had a pitch that I wanted to try, can I ring not you maybe, but can I ring someone up at Fringe Central and say you absolutely can, yes, and they're they're perfectly happy to yes. give you feedback. Yes, absolutely. Quite brutal feedback, yep. maybe. <laughs> so and 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 you can and you can work on that, and then you can phone back again a couple of weeks later. Okay, that's really useful to know. Um, and we can do it by Skype as well. Oh, okay, cool. That's cool. How do you see the fringe developing in the next five years? Well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't mean it won't develop at all. No, what, <laughs> I, what, what, what I mean is that it's really that's really not our job. Um, our job is very reactive. It's to respond to the creative drive of writers, producers, performers, and directors. And so, you, you know, and so we don't take the lead in developing the future. We respond to we respond to the new ideas and the initiatives that come up all the time, and it changes every year. Do you think the fringe is getting too big? There is no such thing. <laughs> well, I only ask because it's, I mean, you said it's 3,000 shows a day at the moment, right? Yes. And it's obviously going up every year yes. based around the fact that there's more, they're, they're running earlier, they're going later. Um, do you, I mean, could you ever see a time when it would be like a 24-hour thing for, tw- you know? Well, it pretty much is. Right. 
at the moment. So last year I went to see a show that happened at Sunrise on the Beach. Um, and yeah, and you obviously have a huge amount of late like cabaret and late like late night comedy and so on. Um, and you know, I went to see a twenty two years ago I went to see a twenty four hour uh, uh, promenading show that lasted literally for twenty four hours. But it did include a bit of a lie down. In yeah. the middle of it, yeah, you need that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and so, I think that for as long as writers and performers think that there's a value to them bringing their shows to Edinburgh, then we don't see any reason why it's going to diminish at all. You know, as long as you know, it's to do with the motivation of the people that want to bring their shows there. I get the impression from your previous answer that I I can work out what you're going to say to this. But do you think it's a case of you should view Edinburgh as, a, as like a showcase roadshow type thing? Or should you view it as some sort of artistic outlet for yourself? Or what I think you're going to say is it can be both. It can yeah, what, I'm, what, what, what I would say is that you can decide what your uh, priorities and objectives are. And I think as so long as you do that knowingly and... Um, with a little bit of forethought, then I think you can have a really successful fringe experience. We have a thousand media, we have about a thousand um, arts industry professionals and talent scouts who come looking for work as well. You know, we have um, we have an audience of about roughly five hundred thousand people over the space of the month, and so whatever whether whether it's bums on seats, whether it's being seen by the industry in order to get future opportunities, whether it's about raising your profile in the media, whatever your individual um, goals are as an artist we're there to help fulfill them and the fringe is the place where you can do a lot of that but the key to all of that and the key to it being successful is to have made wise decisions in advance about what those goals are very specifically for you and for your work okay and social media is playing an increasingly bigger part in all performers lives you obviously have your own social media um, outlets, as in the Fringe, not your personal. I mean, I'm sure you do, but I mean, like the Ed Fringe website and the uh, no, website, Facebook and Twitter feeds and things. How do you pick what gets featured on those? Well, our um, our underlying ethos that I spoke about earlier, in terms of how we approach the media and being objective and impartial to all the shows, applies on social media as much as it does in any other set of circumstances so much of our social media is about promoting the fringe as an event as, as rather than individual shows within the fringe however one of the things that's different in social media than in traditional media is that it allows you to piggyback and so we're perfectly relaxed and in fact we encourage individual shows and venues and performers to use the ed fringe hashtag as an example and so, you know, so we won't we won't promote individual shows, but we will provide a landscape and uh, a platform where individual shows can promote themselves. L- last year, you promoted hashtag Unboard mm-hmm. as a hashtag rather than Ed Fringe. Was there a reason for that? No, that was just part of the mar- overall marketing campaign for uh, for the Fringe last year. And so, what is the official hashtag for this year? Hashtag Ed Fringe. Ed Fr- just Ed Fringe, not Ed Fringe 2015 or anything? No, just hashtag Ed Fringe. Okay, that's good to know. And um, again, like you said earlier that there are there's sort of a list of awards, and I counted 28 in total. 
do you think because Copstick, I interviewed her a while ago from the Scotsman. She said that she gets quite annoyed with the fact that um, comedy is not sort of a everyone wins a prize type thing. That's you know you're good or you're bad, and it doesn't really matter about awards. You should just do it because you're good or whatever. Do you think there are too many awards, and or do you think they can offer like a leg up, and that's why they're there, or do you think there are uh, some of them are there just for agenda reasons or for trying to boost certain acts? Well, like I've said to several other of your questions, the answer is both. Um, I think that I think that undoubtedly lots of the award-giving bodies have an agenda that they wish to f- use the award to promote. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of you know, Amnesty International have a Freedom of Expression Award, you know, there is an Environmental Sustainability Award and so on. Um, and then obviously corporate companies like Foster's who sponsor both the Edinburgh Comedy Award, which used to be the Peria, but also So You Think You're Funny for emerging stand-ups. Um, uh, they obviously want to do it because they want to promote their brand and their products and so on. Um, and that's true, ac- true across the board. And so I think th- we shouldn't forget, though, that those awards do provide useful tools for the, for the ticket-buying public and the show-attending public because they help them to, um, you know, they help them to uh, identify what shows might be the best to go and see. So, because you've spoken now twice, or you've, th- you've mentioned uh, reviews are something that the public look out for, and awards. Um, quotes, are they still, are they quite important? They, yes, they can be. So, I think, I think, I think for a show, I think it's the, it's the range of different things that help to sell the show. And so things like quotes and posters and flyers and word of mouth on the street. Star are, rating? Uh, and star ratings are all important things. Do you, I mean, do you know what, I mean, obviously it will vary person to person, but as a general rule, do you know, like, what people are looking out for mainly, or is, is there no set pattern? For I don't think there's much of a set pattern. I think the one thing we can see is that out of all those different tools that we've identified that help people make their mind up, the single most important one probably is still word of mouth. And that means that um, despite the... You know, despite the environmental problems that flyering produces, it is still the most single, most important thing that you can do in order to sell tickets for your show or to get people to attend your show. In, uh, you mentioned sorry, uh, the environmental problem, obviously, is the fact that people overorder, overflyer, throw stuff away at the end of the fringe. And uh, I know Freestival, for example, work very hard with a, fly, um, a recycling company up there to make sure that they're uh, as non-impactual to the environment as possible. What, what does the Fringe uh, Central do in terms of trying to make sure that? Yes, so we do two things. Firstly, um, you know, we can we can help give advice on some of the best uh, some of the best steps that you can take during your ordering process, such as you know, using paper from a sustain finding a printer who uses paper from a sustainable source. Um, and the and the second thing is at the end of the fringe we have a we have a sort of like a drop off and recycle. Uh, facility, so you can bring your paper, you can bring anything, not just your paper, but your cardboard, your props, anything, and uh, leave them in French Central. And we work with, uh, you know, we work with a recycling company to basically take away everything. And I think last, I think last year we had half a billion tons of paper. Wow, um, which was made up of flyers and posters and programs and so on. Wow. Okay, um, that's a lot. And I mean, in terms of your. Uh, impact of uh, the environment because obviously if you print 450,000 programs 
uh, that's sort of a lot of paper. I mean, are they, do you do you see like lowering that? Have you ever thought about lowering that number and then focusing more online? Because I imagine uh, if I if I was going to the fringe and I couldn't find a program, I'd just go to the app or I'd go to the website because I'd want to know that information. Have you uh, do you, do you ever think about lowering the number of orders you do just to help the environment? Yes, we do, and we have a we we actually have a commitment to lower it by twenty five percent over the next five years. Uh, it's it's something that we will have to educate the audience about because, uh, as I said earlier, it's still the major marketing tool and it's still hugely popular, you know. And so you're, by the end of the fringe, we're running out of them. So people are picking them up and using them. Um, but we are we are working on. But certainly, we recognise ourselves that we want to, you know, we want to try and do something about that in, you know, in the medium term. Do you? Do you think there's a reason why flyering is still the primary or one of the most primary marketing tools up there? Is it just because of historically people sort of come to Edinburgh and expect to be flyered, or do you think it actually is a useful means? I think it's really useful because I think I think I think it's because most people are still selecting the shows that they're going to see when they're wandering around the streets. They haven't actually filled their itinerary very often. I think the important thing to remember about flyering, though, is it's not the handing over of the piece of paper, which is the important element of the process. It's the conversation that you're having with the person who stops to talk to you. Those are the people that you then translate into audience members. And that, again, comes back to the being able to sell your show in 60 seconds. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, the comedy section in the fringe pretty much dominates uh, like one of the biggest chunks, if not the biggest chunk, of the festival uh, magazine and mm-hmm. program. Do you think there's a reason why? Do you think it's like chicken and egg because the industry's going up there, we're all going up there, or do you think it's we're all going up there so they all feel like they all? Are? So comedy is just about a third of the fringe program. <laughs> Theatre is about another third, right? And then everything else is the final third. And by everything else, I mean music, musicals, opera, art, uh, children's shows etc talks um and i think that firstly i think that obviously there has been beyond the fringe there has been a broad growth in comedy in the last couple of decades anyway it's mu- you know it's it's got a much lar- there's a much larger comedy audience across the country generally um, and I think that's reflected in the fringe and at the same time that larger comedy audience has led to an even greater comedy industry as well and so the promoters and the producers and the and the talent scouts ne- need somewhere to go where they can see the next generation of talent uh, in a relatively easy way and Edinburgh provides that for them Okay, and uh, do you have any uh, books or websites or recommended reading that we as performers could like look up ahead of the fringe that might help us sort of prepare for it Yes, so there are two things. So the first thing is that um, we at the Fringe Society have actually produced a series of guides which are available on our website, edfringe.com. And those guides cover... uh, Many of them will actually now be... Uh, for this year, in terms of this year's fringe, many of them will actually now have passed their usefulness date. So, in, in terms of things like s- there are guides to selecting a venue, to registering your show, etc. There are some of them that are still really valuable, and there is one um, called "How to Sell Your Show," which I would strongly urge everybody who uh, is taking part in the fringe uh, to read um, right now. Don't even wait until August; read it right now. Um, but if you want to do things in even more depth, there have been a couple of really good books. Uh, written about the fringe over the last few years you can find links to them on our website as well in the participants section okay um 
And if you could give one bit of advice to a couple of thousand performers who uh, are... I mean, I would say that uh, uh, this is probably going to go out and be covered by three types of people. People who are doing their first fringe show who are wary of spending money on things they don't really understand or going up and not really getting the ecosystem. So maybe advice for them. Advice for people who have maybe decided to go up and um, watch the fringe so how they can discover and get the most out of their fringe and people who have gone up to as an industry participate but are looking for more of a well-rounded experience rather than just going up and working don't know which order you want to do them in but that's so we'll start with the performers then and so the first thing i would say to the performers is there's one word that i think uh sums up what should be your entire approach and that's planning I think it's all about planning in advance. That's how you're going to make the most of the experience. That planning, I think, should include, if at all possible, a trip the year before you come. So if you if you if you've not already if you've not already registered a show for this year, and but you're thinking that you might want to come with a show in 2016 or 17, what I would say is that you should come to Edinburgh for at least a couple of days during August this year. Um, and you should see what it's like because you will have a mu- for 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 all the podcasts and all the reading that you might do in advance of it. Actually, seeing it with your own eyes and experiencing it will actually give you far more knowledge that will be of use than anything else in the world will. And so, I would strongly suggest that you plan in advance and that you come and see the fringe before you actually bring your show. And then the set, and part of that planning, I think, also involves bringing your best possible work. So if your work isn't ready, then I think far better to put it off for a year and to work on it and to and to make it as good as it's possibly going to be before bringing it. Um, and obviously, we've also spoken about the planning your media, planning your marketing, etc. But actually, everything comes down to planning for performers. Um, in terms of in terms of the audience, what I would say is be as flexible as you can. Um, where the audience needs to plan is actually for things like their accommodation and their travel so that they get the best possible deals. But actually in terms of shows that you want to go and see, be as flexible and as open as you can. Leave it to... Rem- remember, this isn't like EasyJet. The prices are not going to go up the closer we get to August. You know, um, and so... Uh, leave it until you get there so that you can read the reviews, you can hear and most importantly, listen to what people are saying to you, whether you're in the pub or whether you're on the street in a queue for a show listen to what other people have been to see and what they're talking about um, and be, and also be adventurous go and see things that you wouldn't go and see the rest of the year round. You are at the world's largest arts festival with a wide variety of different shows to s- choose from just go for something outside your comfort zone um, and in terms of the industry and professionals who go and s- go there, I would say that the very first piece of advice that I would give is to make contact with our arts industry office. Go and see our team who are who are there to help you, and will make sure that you see all the right people, and that you and that you are using your time as efficiently as possible. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Really You're nice. welcome. Thank you. That was Neil. I can't even tell you how much fun that was he was so knowledgeable and so lovely and so giving of his time he'd already done as i said he'd already done like a two two and a half hour chat with um like a general auditorium of performers at the pleasance that afternoon uh, that we met and 
even after that was really talkative really excited and and none of the length of time that he'd been uh, working uh, had lowered his enthusiasm level he was so passionate about the fringe and it's it's lovely to see that so uh, i hope you got something out of it i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you learnt uh, at least one new thing the fringe can do for you whether you're going up this year or in a future year please do share it with other fringe performers if you think there's someone who you know who's going up to the edinburgh fringe who uh, could benefit from it i'm sure most performers could um, if you liked this podcast and you'd like me to continue making more please uh, subscribe uh, so it helps me know that there is still a market for it uh, please review it in itunes because that means that i know what you like and what you don't like um, and also future guests can tell that there's people listening and that they're enjoying it and do share it about as well the links are all on the website or you know you can share the itunes link whatever link you want and also if you have a few quid spare and you are enjoying this and you want to support the show please do please take a minute and uh, consider giving me a couple of quid per podcast that you've enjoyed to really help the show out and really keep it going i'm not going to bang on about how long they take to do because that's not really relevant right now what is relevant is uh you know it's if you value the content it would be great if you had a couple of quid spare if you don't have the money do not worry about it honestly i'm still going to do them but it would be great if there was some money coming in for it so um only donate what you can if you can thank you very much for listening bye hold up What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm hmm. 